0: My topic this morning, title is Altars, Altars by the Roadside. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Just let me pause for a moment and meditate on this scripture for my own personal benefit and thank God that I am still a young man. Hallelujah. If it begins at 75, I've got a few years to go. Oh, more years than you think. Okay. 75 years old. When he departed from Haran, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared. To Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and abraham journeyed on still going toward the negeb one of the old fashioned ways of describing a believer we know it from church history we know it from the age of the puritans we know it from john bunyan's work one of the ways that we describe one another is by the term pilgrim. John Bunyan's pilgrim's progress. Pilgrim means somebody that is on a journey, reminding us that our lives with God are a journey. We are going forward with Him, following Him. Discipleship is a pilgrimage. We are going step by step in the footsteps of Jesus. Abraham who is the father of it all, was a pilgrim. Genesis 12 breaks in halfway into the beginning of the story. And it's obvious in Genesis 12 verse 1, it says God appeared. It says, actually, the text says God had appeared. So this appearance was not the first one. And uh, Stephen tells us that as recorded by Luke in his uh, book of Acts in chapter 7. Stephen, as he makes his defense, his legal speech, his defense before the highest court in the land for the the Jews, the Sanhedrin, he makes his defense, as being accused of speaking against the temple and against the traditions, and he stands up and says, basically you want me to show how faithful I am to the traditions, then let me give you in my defense historical retrospective. I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to let you know that I know all that stuff and he begins with Abraham which was the beginning in many ways of everything. God chose one man, Abraham, to reach all humanity. And Stephen begins by saying the God of glory appeared to Abraham while he was in the Ur of the Chaldees. Now we meet Abraham in Haran and he's halfway on his journey. He started out in the Earl of the Chaldees, in basically what is in modern Iraq, kind of that kind of area. And God appeared to him. It's wonderful how God makes himself known. When I share with my friends who at the moment don't yet know Christ or don't yet believe in the God of the Bible, One of their problems is, if well, if if he's around, if he's here, why doesn't he show himself? And uh, actually, God has shown himself. God shows himself every single day. We need eyes to see him. And there are those special moments in history where God breaks in with real revelation in a way that changes the course of history for people, nations, and so on. And when you recognise that Abraham back at that time, back in the River of he was not a believer in the one true and living God. We can suppose, probably without too much difficulty, that Abraham was like his other fellow countrymen, that he had the same worldview as those around him and and he would have believed in polytheistic system. He would have actually focused on the sun, the moon and the stars. They were great astrologers and they they believed that that the heavens actually were the stars and the planets were actual spiritual beings, gods in some kind of way that influenced us and that's how even astrology today is viewed. But Abraham one day discovered something It is amazing to think of the created glory of God or the glory of God which is reflected in creation and to be dazzled by it, to be dazzled by the beauty of this universe in which we live. And the more we go on in history, the more we discover about it. But Abraham learned that day that he was to worship not the stars and the moon and the heavens, but he was to worship the God who made everything and everyone, including the sun, the moon and the stars. And this was a life-transforming revelation. And you and I need to walk in that revelation. And I, I don't think we will ever go very far on in our lives until we reconcile to this fact, this revelation, that we serve the one, the true and the living God. He is the supreme being. You can't go higher than him. And when he is in control of your life, your pilgrimage is going to be glorious. So he made half of the journey, settled in Haran, which was on the border of Canaan, stayed there some time, acquired goods and so on, and then God spoke to him a second time and says, Now, leave your kindred, leave this place, and go to the place where I will show you, which was Canaan. And so Abraham could look back at all of his journey and remember that God had spoken to him. Speak to his wife. Sarai, we're going to have a child, and so on. We're going to become prominent. God is going to use us to bless the nations of the world, but there was little of, of evidence for that at that particular time. And God had to walk Abraham through his day-by-day pilgrimage and and then every so often God would break into Abraham's life at just the right time, just the right moment to give him a refreshing, to give him a reorientation, to renew and revive his faith, encourage him and to point him forward. This is exactly the season that we are entering now. We are entering a season of divine inbreaking where God is choosing to break afresh into our lives, to renew, to revive, to restore, to encourage, to bless, and to refocus us so that we will go on in the leg of the journey that God has for us. That's how God will prepare the nations for the coming of Christ. Times of refreshing from the presence of God. And when that happens, we take it with both hands. That's why today, you know, normally I would be saying, it's 12 o'clock, you know, we've got to hurry up. But we must not hurry the Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing about our Sunday evening services Uh, is that there's there's more space and time for us to wait on God and to work out some of the ministry that the Lord is giving us. So whatever you do, stay for lunch. I'll tell you what the menu is. I guess it's chicken and rice, but I'll come back and have a look at it. There's food here, but go out, whatever you do, but start to make a focus, as well as your daytime ministry to the Lord in these services, the evenings, I believe, are very, very crucial. I hear of people saying, Sunday evening is the place to be in Kensington Temple. Well, I agree. As well as 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock and 2.30. And Sunday at 6. But seriously, uh, we, we, we're trying to make sure that we don't miss it. Miss what God is wanting, uh, wanting to do for us. So, there's the scene. I've set the scene. Now, what I want you to notice... That if Abraham continued on his journeys, we know he did, he could look back along the road. And a retrospective is very important. To see how far we've come. You can't go forward by always looking back. But as your driving instructor has told you, or will tell you if you're not a driver yet, the rear vision mirror is there for a purpose. It's important to know how far you come. It's important to look back. But how do we know? How do we tell? Because so much of what we're involved in is invisible. So, in other words, we can't always point to physical things, but we can point to something. As we look back on any pilgrim's road, I believe it will be gloriously marked by milestones which are measured by their altars, the altars that they have built. If, as I look back on my life, I can remember great moments. It's not like this every day. One of the problems is if I pull all my glory stories together, put all my miracle stories together, and all the good stories together, squash 30, 40 years into 150 pages in a book, you'll get a wrong impression. Most of our days are lived by following the ordinary move of the Holy Spirit, the ordinary workings of the Holy Spirit, but of course even the ordinary is extraordinary. Bruce is speaking at 2.30 today on it's time to get beautiful or something like that, actually. The scripture is everything is beautiful in its time, so if you need beauty therapy, don't miss the 2.30 service. But the oil that will be put on you is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And yes, we are being made beautiful. We're being shaped by the Holy Spirit. And that is a glorious story. And it happens every day. We're being transformed moment by moment. And when we look back, we can see that. But as well as the ordinary supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, there are those times of very special inbreaking. Now, Abraham had it, we see that there was the revelation of his of God's word and then it says God appeared to him this is so important because and we cannot overemphasize how important it is to focus on the presence of God because that's his covenant promise that is the sunum bonum the ultimate promise of God God promises himself It's all about relationship. That's why you and I have been made in his image as super special beings Human beings made in the image of God, made for fellowship with him. So it's not just getting to know about him, it's getting to know him. It's not enough sometimes to know that God is with you by faith, and that's important. God wants us to engage with his felt presence. So that when we go through the dark times, when we go as historians or church church authors and writers and saints of God down the years have described it, go through the dark night of the soul, or go through a wilderness experience. We are walking by faith because the God who we don't see, we know that he's with us at all times and God has prepared us for all of that. So now, whatever situation you're in, God wants to manifest his presence to you. Many of you have been through a time of brokenness, disillusionment, disappointment. Many of you have been through a wilderness time. And, and, and for, that, for those who say, oh no, I, it's, it's, okay, it's okay with me, everything's okay, that's even more dangerous because when it's okay, uh, it's probably not okay and okay is not enough. Okay is not the glory of God. And we can move into a complacency and we can get into a rhythm of life that traps us and excludes us from the good things that God wants for us because we are complacent. And uh, when God manifests his presence, he shakes things up. Uh, it's like an intensification of the Holy Spirit's activity. In my books on the Holy Spirit, one of the images that I've settled on is calling the Holy Spirit the holy hurricane. I wondered, and a hurricane sounds very destructive, you read the context, I mean it in a positive sense. But we know that the Holy Spirit will disrupt everything. And he disrupts everything to take it away, to reshape it and to re- reposition us and to refocus us and redirect us. And so when the, when the hurricane wind comes, you know the scripture is so true. You don't know where the wind is coming from, where the wind is going. You don't know how to manufacture this. But when the hurricane is around, just, just you, 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 you can be turned around on a sixpence. The force is so strong, it has incredible and for our purposes, constructive purposes to reorganize, to reorientate, to blow things open, to blow things apart so we are ready for the next phase of what God wants us to do. So expect that. We also know that at times where God manifests his presence, it follows very hard on the heels of or very soon following that manifestation of his presence comes his word of promise. The presence draws us into relationship, but his promise leads us to fruitfulness. You see, Abraham's blessings are mine. We used to sing that, right? And what are Abraham's blessings? God says, through you, I'll bless the families of the earth. I will bless you. I will prosper you. I'll cause you to grow. I'll cause you to an influence. And you will be a blessing to the nations of the world. God blesses us that we might be a blessing. It's about fruitfulness. One of the things that we focus on when we talk about high sounding vision and all the stuff that we say we're going to do, we don't just talk about it, we write it down. We don't just write it down, we pray it through. We don't just write it down, pray it through, but we do it step by step. We organise our church, our life, our ministry around the corporate blessing of God and move together as one body because we want to be a blessing to the city. We want to be a blessing to the nations. And it doesn't happen just by being in this building. It happens as we share Christ with people outside of it. So here we have the manifestations of his presence. Speaking of relationship, we have the revelation of his promise. Speaking about fruitfulness. But also what we see here is a continuation of our pilgrimage. That takes us deeper into our destiny. So Abraham, as was the very last verse that I read, I think it was verse 9, it says this. Oh, I'm in the book of Acts now. Verse 9 of, of Genesis 11, Genesis 12. And Abraham, Abraham journeyed on, forward, still going, still going. Are you still going today? Some of you aren't sure. Are you still going today? Are you still going on with God? Are you still going deeper with Him? Your best days are ahead. The greatest adventures are ahead. The greatest blessings are ahead. The fulfillment is ahead. Amen, amen. So keep going. Keep going forward. Forward towards the Negeb. So here we have just a little sp- slice of the story of Abraham, which is part of a continuing story, and the whole purpose is he is a pilgrim on the way. And so how do we ensure that the encounter with God is built into our life, embedded into our hearts, that we move forward with it and don't leave it behind. Don't leave it behind. Is there something that we can learn from this story that shows us how in times of blessing and favour and great grace, wow, that was last week's message, but it's hit me again. One of the hallmarks of the move of God is the grace of God. Somebody needs to hear that today. Great grace was upon them all. Great grace is upon your life. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. Somebody's not hearing me. Don't be bogged down by impossibilities. Grace opens door to fresh possibilities. It's a new day. It's a new season. God has fresh grace, great grace for you in your situation right now. Give him a praise right now. So, how do we make sure that our encounters with God are embedded in our life and we uh, make sure they become kind of permanent features? If we think about a journey, and uh, we have sat navs today, and they're great, you're driving along and you forgot about the sat nav and some woman or man, man's voice comes to the speakers At the next roundabout, who said that? Take the third exit. So thank you very much, that was helpful. It's the speaking sat nav. Or it's just visually presented. But back in the day, we never had sat navs. Back in the good old days, in London we had the A to Z, <laughs> and you have to look it up. Or you would get the AA map of Britain, or some other thing. Other uh, maps are available, just in case there's, I'm going to be sued by non-AA people. All right. And this was great fun, no, it wasn't great fun, but I'm pretending. It was great fun to open it up and to say, okay, you take the A40, then you take the M6, you do this and that, and you write it down, da 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 and then your other hand next to you have your navigator there helping you. But back, back, back in the day, back in the day when I was a boy in Africa, we had no sat-nav, No A to Z, A to Z of Nakuru, (laughs) no A to Z, no street signs, no streets, (laughs) just a road. (laughs) And I can remember, I can remember almost, I'm almost quoting word for word. I can remember as a boy hearing the grown-up speak. Oh, you take the track until you come to the big rock. <laughs> and when you see big rock, dirt track, after that to the left. And you go to the left, after big, big rock, dirt track, left. Okay, go to left, and what? You come to a big tree. <laughs> big tree. Oh, big tree. Then you take a right at a big tree. Then you come to a river. So you have rocks and rivers and trees, but you don't have road signs. This is way, way back. But what we're talking about now, the altars of the Lord that Abraham built, they serve as milestones on your journey milestones on your journey when we have an encounter with God we don't just move on we pause we reflect we replenish and we move on in our journey building an altar Again, this is quite old-fashioned spiritual language. We used to call quiet times your daily altar. There were books written about daily altar. Every day you build a fresh altar. You start the day with God. There is a daily altar. Yes, there is. A daily altar. You start with God, you read the Bible, you pray, you refresh yourself, and you go on your journey. We used to speak of, perhaps we should do it again, of family altars. You build an altar in your family. I'm not talking about candles and an and image and incense. It is the altar of your heart. In other words, you gather the family around a, 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 the, the worship of God. And, and it's quite appropriate language because if you think about it, altars are built by priests. Back in the day of Abraham, there was no priesthood. Every man was priest in his own house. Tribal leaders were kind of priests for the whole of the tribe. And now uh, we are priests in the new covenant. And so we are right. It's right that we should be priests in the sense of building an altar of God and and the sacred place of, of meeting with him. And so building that altar... Is, is, is one of the key ways by which we take, from the presence of God, substance for our lives. We, we don't just respond and say, oh that's wonderful, come and pray for me again. We say, yes, I am drawing from this season all that I need to embed it in my life, to build it in my life, so that as I go on in my journey, I carry it with me. As I go on in my journey, I have supplies for the future. I am prepared for the next stage of the journey, and I mark this stage by building an altar to God. Why do we build an altar? What does it mean, first of all? Abraham built an altar. We have to read between the lines and then get the whole picture to understand what it meant. But in the first instance, it meant gratitude. God does something for your life, you show your gratitude, you mark it in some way. And wherever we see pure gratitude, it is always response to pure grace. Pure grace. Pure grace. When God's grace comes and God's grace came into Abram's life, he didn't sit there saying, hmm, I wonder if there is a God. He was doing his own business, doing his own thing, and God, by grace, revealed himself. And every time you see something of Jesus, something you didn't see before, you know it's the Holy Spirit of grace. We can't get anything from God by our own merits. And when we see, think about it, this man, a pagan idolater, worshipper, worship of idols, a man who was probably into all the kinds of stuff where the darkness doesn't, where the light does not shine, but right there in the depth of his darkness, in the depth of his ignorance, sophisticated though he was, God revealed himself. Aren't you just so grateful that you are a believer today? Are, are, Are you saying to yourself, well, I know. Yeah. I'm a believer. I did it. I worked it all out. Did you? You can't work anything out without God. This doesn't come by working out. It comes by revelation. The manifestation of God. The God who causes his light to shine in you. And when you see... How all that God has brought for you changed your destiny, changed your purpose, given you such a future, such a hope, saved you, washed your sins away, made you a totally new person, fit for heaven itself. When you see that, you're grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So out of gratitude of this great promise, this great manifestation, he builds an altar. second thing we realize is that he does so in dependence. He does so because he's dependent. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. You and Sarai, you're 70 years, 75 years of age. I guess I'll discover it eventually when I get there, but things happen to you. And you're not quite so capable as you were before. And anyway, Sarah was barren. So they're going saying, you know, my offspring's going to be everywhere. We're going to spring up everywhere. Where's Christian Lai? Is Christian Lai doing something? You know, it's okay. I'm talking about him. I want to know when he's stopping. How many kids is that now? (laughs) What a baby boom. (laughs) But it's all very well for us to joke when you're young about that but when you're old i had a long time to wait wasn't he 99 sarah where are you it's time to fulfill the promise what's that dear speak up i said it's time to fulfil the promise oh hallelujah <laughs> Dependence. Paul takes out this story and said it was by faith. Abraham knew he could not do it. His body was as good as dead by then. His wife had been barren all her life, unable to conceive. But he said that the God who raises the dead is with me. He can raise this dead body and he can give us the promise. So when you build an altar, you say, the promise is too big for me. Je peux pas le faire. I need you to do it, God. I can't do it, I cannot, but you can. Do what only you can do. I'm building an altar. It's got to be God. Where are you in your life where you know it can never be you? It has to be God. Has to be God. The moments of desperation, difficulty, and sheer impossibility Build an altar of dependence to the Lord because you yourself cannot do it. It's an altar of commitment. I believe it's. this is what he was saying. When he built that altar, not only was he reflecting, not only was he giving tribute to God and gratitude and demonstrating his dependence, he was also saying, Amen. I commit to this. I believe it. I commit to it. I believe it. I commit to it. I consecrate my life to it. Every staging post in my life, every filling station, every moment of significant refuel has involved a deeper consecration in my life. And flesh is flesh is flesh. Whether it's Colin Dye, flesh, Gabriel Tan, flesh, or your flesh. So we all have the same issue. Flesh resists. I was sharing with staff this week saying, I don't know if I've got it in me to go to the deeper levels of repentance that are necessary to steward this move of God. What a dumb thing to say. Why is it dumb? Is it dumb to admit that I need deeper and fresh consecration? Is that dumb? I'm sure you would say, that's good. We we see that. (laughs) If you see it, that's good. We all need to go deeper with God. The dumb thing is, even to think you got it in yourself in the first place. Of course, I don't have it in me, but neither do you. But but, and yet we do, because it's not me, it's Christ in me. It's not you, it's Christ in you. And I am so sure that this move of God that we're going to move into and entering into is going to be very special grace for us to rise up in levels of holiness and consecration in which we are flowing with God. Not just speaking in tongues or laying hands on the sick but walking in higher levels of righteousness and purity. Not in a religious legalistic way but because we're we're so close to him and that's all we want. That's all we want. I was reading a quote by C.S. Lewis this week in which it's quoted in the context of helping people who are struggling with sin in their life and and the desires that have been somehow uh, reignited in them. And C.S. Lewis says, God never looks upon our desires as being too strong. Not only because he's stronger, but he looks upon our desires as being too weak. In other words, our desire for life is too weak and we settle for second best. He said, it's like kids playing with mud in the back garden, not knowing that they can build sand castles by the sea. Don't settle for anything less than the best. Everything that we substitute to make us feel good, feel good, feel good. And we're brainwashed. We're brainwashed. Do you know how we're brainwashed? Because of phrases. Have you heard it? The feel good factor. The feel good factor. They use it in economics. So when people start to feel good, in other words, they feel a bit more secure, a bit more money in their pocket. Then they will buy more and then the economy goes. So you're listening to this, oh, there's no feel-good factor. So I say, it's my fault, is it? I don't feel good enough for the economy to rise. No, 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 feel good, feel good. We live in a feel-good society, a feel-good generation. If it feels good, it's got to be good. No, 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 no. We are, we're, it's not about feeling good, is it? What this is about is desiring Christ. You're going to feel good, eventually. But if your desire for him is so strong, sometimes you can feel worse before you feel better. Because he will be doing this already, giving us a sense of hunger and thirst until we are desperate and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. How do you feel? I don't know. I'm hungry. How do you feel? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And the deeper you go in hungering and thirsting after righteousness, then you know when you are filled, then you will be satisfied. And when he visits, he can multiply so there are 12 baskets left over. Abundance. The altar is also an altar of testimony. This is where God did this for me. And if you would travel those roads, every pilgrim, every pilgrim would build their altar. And you can follow it and say, oh, somebody met with God here. Somebody met with God there. And as we look at our society today, there are altars to God everywhere. Altars to God everywhere. Even if you follow the path of the early pilgrims of history of Christianity in our nation, you can actually go on a pilgrimage or follow the steps of the pilgrims and you'll see here they did something. When we were at Windsor Windsor Castle, there was a mark of pilgrims right there, even before the castle or the chapel was there. So I'm not just talking about monuments we can talk about movements, we can talk about life shaping, society shaping events that Christians have left behind as a, just as a legacy and you, you, when you stand in that legacy you're standing on holy ground, somebody paid a price for that. So don't ever think just this is about you and the few around you. Yes, we must have an altar in our heart. Yes, we must have an altar in our home But how about an altar in the workplace? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about carrying the presence of God into the workplace? You have no idea how God can use you Or when the opportunity will arise Many years years ago There was a BBC television program called Your Life in Their Hands Do you remember that? No, it's best to say nothing because it was a long time ago. It was a medical program in which they featured, um, you know, a, a, a fly on the wall documentary, and 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 they looked at various cases, followed people through the progress of a life-saving um, operation or something. And so the whole program was your life in the hands of the medics and the program that was to deal with open heart surgery the surgeon who was invited to participate at that part of the documentary one of the most eminent heart surgeons in our country was a believer some of us knew him he was a believer And there he is, television cameras are rolling, everything is in place and he's all, he'd be be scrubbed up, he's got all his greens on and all that and he's all ready, he's got his hands like that, you know, what a horrific sight to see a surgeon coming at you like that, but anyway. The poor person was unconscious, and there he goes. And just before he launches in, in a way it could not be cut out of the program, he just said, Let us pause for a moment and remember that this man is in hands far greater than our own. He built an altar right there in his professional life. We're going to build an altar today. How do you build an altar? very simple those days it wasn't complicated you stop here what is there? Earth? You build an altar of earth. You stop there what is stones? You build an altar of stones whatever there is available and and so this means that out of the ordinary circumstances of your life right here and now you can build an altar to God but I think it goes deeper than that because a lot of the stuff out of which altars were built, people would just call rubble. Rubble. Rubbish. Rubble. Out of the rubble of your life, out of the broken experiences of your life, out of the ordinary things of your life, wherever you are, you can build an altar. And if you're going through an experience, in which you feel the whole of your life has collapsed and fallen apart or potentially has and it's broken into a thousand pieces. Guess what? God has just given you the building material that you need to build an altar to him in the midst of your brokenness. And then finally, it's an altar of faith. When Abraham built that altar, I don't know how much he fully understood this, but what is true, there is an unbroken chain that moves from altar to altar. From the patriarchal period, priest in your own house, to the time of the Levites when there were priests in the land. From that time serving in the tabernacle and then on into the first temple and then the rebuilding of the temple, altar after altar after altar. They were all saying the same thing. There is a sacrifice coming, which we made on the day when Jesus Christ hung on the cross midway between heaven and earth, extended his hands to embrace a generation and every generation before and after that, saying, I love you. Jesus sacrificed his life on the altar of God at the cross. But that altar is empty because it was not just a dead sacrifice. He rose again from the dead. And when you go back to the cross, build an altar to God, you are not bringing Jesus down to die again. He is not a perpetual sacrifice. He is a once for all sacrifice. And the blood of Jesus And its power stretched back 2,000 years in history to touch Abraham's life. And the blood of Jesus stretches forward 2,000 years into the future and more to touch our lives today. That's why we can approach a holy God and say, God, my life is in your hands.